from lethargy and all of the things that are mentioned here. Now today we come to the fourth church, which is the church in Thyatira. Let me begin reading from the second chapter of the book of Revelation, verse 18, following. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, whose eyes, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished brawn, says this, I know your deeds, your love and faith and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will cast her upon a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say this to the rest of you who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. And he who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. And now let us... We have been looking at the message of Christ to the churches. In the book of Revelation, seven churches are mentioned. These churches are in what was called then the Roman province of Asia, which we now call Asia Minor, and uh, would be located in what is now Turkey. To each of these churches, a message from the risen Christ comes through the Apostle John who is exiled on the island of Patmos because he has been willing to suffer tribulation and persecution for the cause of Christ and because he shares in the expansion of his kingdom and because he knows that that perseverance in him is going to prevail. You will recall that the first letter 
after the great description of Christ in those marvelous words is given, and each of the letters seems to be framed with uh, uh, a description of Christ that's taken from that first chapter to the church in Ephesus, the huge city uh, of the great idol worship of Diana of the Ephesians. To Ephesus he is described as the one who holds the stars in his right hand and walks among the lampstands. Now remember, a church is to be one that lets its light shine in the world. And we are supposed to be lights for Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he said to his church, ye are the light of the world. Now how can it be that he is the light of the world and we are the light of the world? I've often described this by saying that if you drive on these mountain roads at night, you'll often see that uh, our Department of Public Safety with the highways has erected uh, things along the side of the road with reflectors. And the lights from our headlight, headlights will go into that reflector and reflect back the light from our own car. That, light, that reflector has no light of its own. It has to get it from another source. We have no light in ourselves. But if Jesus Christ shines upon us, then we reflect his light, and we need to be reflecting that light. If the world comes between us and Jesus, as the world may, as the planet Earth may come between the moon and the sun, you get an eclipse. And I'm afraid that often the church is eclipsed because of its worldliness. The church in Ephesus was a good church, but it had lost its first love. And so this is a terrible thing to bring against it. It's awful when love goes out of a marriage or when love goes out of a relationship between two former friends or when the love of Jesus goes out of a church. That's a terrible thing. It may have eloquent preachers and dignified ritual and expensive organs and choirs, but if the love of Jesus is not there, the light is not shining. He wrote a letter to the church in Smyrna and when he speaks to this church, he speaks as the one which was dead and is alive again because the church in Smyrna is suffering. The church in Smyrna undergoes persecution just as Christians today in China and in Russia and in Cuba and in Eastern Europe are undergoing persecution for the sake of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that he has no correction to offer to the church in Smyrna. His silence is the silence of one who comes and places his hand upon the shoulder of those suffering saints and just touches, and by that touch and feel and presence, new strength is given. Sometimes the most miserable comforters are the people who come into our rooms gushing things, and the people who have suffered, like Jesus himself suffered. They can come and just touch you. And you know that they understand. And to the church at Smyrna, he brings encouragement. He which was dead and is alive again assures them that they will not be taken uh, dead because their uh, life will go on. To the church at Pergamos, he speaks as the one who has a sharp two-edged sword. It's interesting that Rome, and Paul refers to this in the letter to the Romans, Rome ruled by the right of the sword, but the Roman sword had one edge, 
And here John tells us that the sword of the Lord, which comes from his mouth, is a two-edged sword, one more edge than the Romans have. And that this two-edged sword is meant to defend his people. The word of God is meant to awaken us from our lethargy and to prick our conscience awake from evil doings and deeds. And it is also meant to be our sure defense, too. That's why it's so important for Christians to form the uh, habit of daily reading God's word and reading it for light, for their own life, for correction, for encouragement to pass along to others. If we do not accept that word, then one day we have to deal with that word in judgment. He tells us that the church at Ephesus will eat of the tree of life. He tells that the church at Smyrna will not be hurt by the second death. He tells us that the church at Pergamos, there at this great Roman center of learning where there were so many uh, distinguished books and libraries, that there will be a hidden manna that they will eat of and that they will have that mystic white stone, some secret coded message that God only gives to those loved ones of his who have suffered so much. And now he writes a letter to this church in Thyatira. We know about Thyatira a little bit from the uh, 16th chapter of the book of Acts because we know that the first convert on European soil seems to have been Lydia, a seller of purple fabric. A purple was that which was worn by the uh, people who were in positions of high authority or high in the world, and it was very expensive. And uh, Lydia was a dealer in purple fabric, which must have meant that she was a woman of some uh, considerable wealth. Uh, she had a household and evidently a retinue of servants. She was a proselyte, one who had been converted uh, to Judaism, to the God of the Old Testament, and to the promise of the Messiah who was to come. And Paul, when he came into the city of Philippi, where Lydia and Philippi uh, was a... Um, Thyatira was a colony of Philippi. Uh, Lydia had evidently come from Thyatira to Philippi, and um, so she was at a place where prayer was wont to be made, is the way the King James puts it. This was a place where on the Sabbath those people who accepted the scriptures of the Old Testament would meet and read those scriptures and ponder them. And here in this prayer meeting, Paul comes. And Paul opens unto them the word of God. And we are told that the Lord opened her heart, Lydia, so that she received the word. And she was baptized in her household. Now, this is very important. If a person is truly converted, no minister does the converting. The Holy Spirit alone can change our hearts and persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ in true saving faith. John Wesley, great man of God that he was, to whom thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands, a multitude that no man could number all over the planet Earth to this day, have been blessed through his incredible and remarkable ministry. Tiny little man, five feet, two inches tall, 118 pounds, little Oxford scholar, converted at 38 years of age, 
to a living faith in the risen Christ after questing after holiness and finally coming to Jesus for that holiness. John Wesley, who wanted no one to give him praise, had engraved upon his tombstone in London that if you had reason to give thanks to God for the messenger, remember that it was the Holy Spirit, that it, all of the praise and the honor should go to Jesus Christ and not to him. He wanted no praise. He wanted it to go to Christ. And so, uh, Paul preaches in Thyatira, uh, preaches in Philippi, and Lydia from Thyatira is converted. It may have been that she took the gospel back there. It may have been that Paul went there. Somehow the gospel gets into Thyatira, and the word of God is preached, and a church, a community of believers is formed. Now, it's important to see the way in which the letter from the risen Christ is spoken to these people. The Son of God is the way it's phrased here. The Son of God. I have nothing, no sympathy whatever with a presbytery that will ordain a man who refuses to say that Jesus is the Son of God. That's straight from the devil. You had better defend the Son of God and you had better know the difference between heresy this is a part of it here. There are people today who are dying for their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a supremely serious matter. And the Son of God, whose eyes, like a flame of fire, blaze. They are blazing with judgment. Because he searches this church in Thyatira. The old Negroes who were being abused by plantation owners in the cotton fields of the South used to make some evil plantation owners quake in their boots by starting a chant, an old Negro spiritual. My Lord sees all you do. He hears all you say. And my Lord's a writing all the time. And it would make them afraid. Well, Jesus is here this morning. His eyes see into every heart. He searches every mind and heart. The scripture which we read from the Old Testament from the 139th Psalm says, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. He knows you. There's no phoniness there. He knows what's going on inside your heart. He knows whether you really believe in the Son of God. He knows whether your life is really under his lordship. He knows whether your values are, are tempered by his word and judged accordingly. And his eyes are like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. That's strength the strength that is there that could grind to powder his enemies. He has a good word to say first before he brings in the criticism, which is always a good thing for us to do. I know your deeds and your love and faith. I know your deeds. I know your love. I know your faith. I know your service. I know your perseverance. And also that your deeds of late are greater than at first. That's a tremendous number of compliments to bring here. This one who is searching eyes blaze. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. 
If you go back into the book of 1 Kings and read the 16th chapter, you'll read about Jezebel. You'll read about a spineless king by the name of Ahab who was supposed to be able to lead the people of God in the right way, who for matters of trade contracts the marriage with Jezebel, who is an evil, wicked, sensuous, immoral person, who brings her gods of Ashtaroth, where hideous immoralities are committed, sexual immorality. And the people of God who were told in the Old Testament not only not to bow down to idols, but not to commit immorality. And they were led astray. Now there is a Jezebel in this church in Thyatira. One who is undermining the authority of the purity of the word of God. One who is leading people into immoral ways. One who is teaching them to eat meat sacrificed to idols. It's interesting that the archaeologists who have dug up the remains of Thyatira tell us that the inscriptions speak of the guilds that are there. Guilds are like trade unions, that there were many of these in that place. There were guilds there for all kinds of people, bakers, bronze workers, clothiers, cobblers, weavers, tanners, dyers, potters, all sorts of trades. Now, associated with a trade guild would all often be the worship of some idol. Associated often with a feast that would be given would be the worship of some idol. Some pagan might take his uh, fatted calf to the priest and cut off a little hair from its forehead and burn that as a sacrifice to the idol, Bacchus, and then have a big rip-roaring drunken party at his house. And the Christian would receive an invitation, my Lord Bacchus invites you to attend a feast at his house. This may be associated with a trade union. And all the people from the union would go there. And the Christians who found themselves out of harmony with the entertainment, out of harmony with the emperor worship and the politics, out of harmony with the economy which produced idols and, and charms, out of harmony with so much that went on in sports. The Christians could not go into this kind of thing. They could not compromise. That's the key word. They could not compromise. And yet this woman in this church was leading them to do just that. And when a church compromises... It leaves itself open for great and terrible things. This is 1981. Last week, on Monday, the President of the United States is shot. Just a hair's breadth away, and his life would have been gone, and this week would have been a week of mourning, and the flags would have all been at half-mast. When I walked into the office, down at the Billy Graham office, and Dr. Graham walked in, we looked at each other and thought, well, we've been through this before, because we saw each other on the day that John F. Kennedy was shot. Some of the people were weeping. We met for prayer. A terribly solemn and serious time that such a thing can happen. And when you look into what happens, you see that this boy who's down at, at the hospital at Buckner, 
And last night I talked with our son who's a, in the P Department of Psychiatry down at Duke. And he told me that they'd gone out and looked at the place where he's being kept. And strange things are beginning to come out. He had seen a film in which a political assassination is a part of the plot. And a girl prostitute in the film, a film star who is now at Yale, and very famous, has written letters, and now there are supposed to be tape recordings of conversations that have been made on the telephone. We live in a time of triple X-rated movies where Playboy magazine and Hustler and the other evil publications far outsell Time and Newsweek and the other magazines. Immorality. Jezebel brought this kind of thing into the church at Thyatira just as the Jezebel in the Old Testament had brought it into the people of God there. And the first sign of a decadent civilization is an exaggerated emphasis upon sex. When the letter is written to the church in Corinth, which had been a licentious and immoral community, the Apostle Paul says to those Christians in Corinth, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and of the cup of devils. If you come to Holy Communion and you take that Monday Thursday communion that commemorates the blood of Jesus that was offered on the cross, you commit gross sacrilege against God and drink judgment to your soul. If you do not come out from among that which is evil and be separate and holy. The first epistle which Peter wrote to a suffering church was telling them to be holy. This is a commandment of God, be ye holy as I am holy. But if you wrote up your biographical sketch today, how many people would say that one of their goals in life was to be holy? We make fun of it. We joke about it. But it's no joking matter in the New Testament, and it's no joking matter any place in the world today where people are suffering for Jesus. And it was no joking matter from the, for the risen Christ to bring it out here to these people who are there in this place. This Jezebel, I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. She does not want to repent. He offers us the opportunity to repent. Listen to these words from John Stott. He is citing scripture. This is the will of God, which is your sanctification, that you abstain from immorality. It is the purpose of the Father's election. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. It is the purpose of the death of the Son of God. Jesus Christ gave himself to redeem us from iniquity and to purify for himself a holy people zealous for good deeds. It is the purpose of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. God has not called us for uncleanness, but in holiness. He has given the Holy Spirit unto you. Those are uh, citations from 1 Thessalonians 4, Ephesians 1, Titus 2, and 1 Thessalonians 4. 
Here then are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three glorious persons of the one Godhead, united in their purpose to make us holy. But if it's God's purpose to make us holy, Satan is resolved to frustrate it. He is seeking ceaselessly to entice individual believers into sin and to, and to insinuate evil into the churches where he cannot muzzle the church's witness by persecution from without. He will resort to the subtler assault of pollution from within. And that's exactly what happens. If he cannot send the communist into Montreat to take us over and tear away our Bibles, then he will work from inside with his fifth column, inside the church with preachers teaching a new morality, with preachers undermining belief in the deity of Christ, with preachers undermining the authority of the word of God. And this subtler form of destruction uh, will make its work known. But it demands of us that we be closer, closer to the Lord. The church in Thyatira is told to hold fast Thyatira was a military outpost. And the soldiers there knew that they, those Roman soldiers knew that they were expendable. There were not enough of them there really to defend in a great onslaught, but they were an outpost. I remember myself being in Vietnam in a Green Beret camp, and I looked up at a sign over the entrance to this camp, and it said, the risk of life is worth the control of remote areas. And it meant that those people out there knew that in a desperate situation they would simply be killed because they were out there on that outpost. They were expendable. And we, too, are called to hold fast to Christ and to hold fast in holiness. Some of you have heard this story before, but it's true, and it's up to date. It's taken from this book, which is a... Um, stenographical recording of the proceedings at the Congress on Evangelism, which was in Lausanne in Switzerland. I remember sitting there and listening to Dr. Kim we, as he spoke these words from Korea, and I've been thinking about Korea. We prayed for our missionaries there today. During the conflict with the uh, Koreans, communist soldiers moved into a peaceful village from uh, in South Korea. Sometime before, and this is a Korean speaking, sometimes before this, a faithful missionary had brought the gospel to this village. Those who were converted were soon witnessing to their friends it was not long before most of the folk in that particular valley had turned to Jesus Christ in simple faith. One day, the communist soldiers made all of the people in this particular village gather at the village church. They told them that they were to renounce their faith in Christ or to face certain death. The soldiers jerked a picture of Christ off the wall and ordered each person in the church to come down the aisle and spit upon the picture of Christ. There was a long silence, and the first man to walk down was a deacon. He looked at the picture for a few seconds, quickly spat, and walked to one side. The man who followed him did the same thing. The third and the fourth imitated the first two men's actions. The fifth person to walk forward, however, was a young teenage girl. She looked at the picture of Christ, and then she bent down 
and wiped the spit off with her skirt. She hugged the picture of Christ close to her heart. She bowed her head and said to the soldier, Shoot me. I'm ready to die. The soldier with the rifle could not shoot. The officer ordered everyone to get out. Shortly afterwards, four shots were fired. The people overheard the communist soldiers say, You are not fit to live. If you had a chance to renounce communism, you would do the same thing. Because of the strong faith of one young girl, the rest of the village was spared. Jesus said, Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Where severe persecution comes, people, people who hold fast, hold fast in holiness and truth. He tells them here to hold fast. And then quickly in closing, look at the end of the letter. There's a wonderful thing here. These people had dabbled with what they call the deep things of Satan. Beware of people who want to lead you a little further into deeper knowledge about this. Stick to your Bible. Read the Bible. Read the hymn book. Get on your knees before God and pray. More heresy can be traced to a neglected prayer life and a neglected reading of the Bible and a neglected desire after holiness than any other thing. Look what he says in his promise to this. He says, I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. When Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount, he said that those who built upon the rock when the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat, those on the foundation of the rock would not fail. And Jesus said the words over and over, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Really hear what I'm saying. Not just be entertained by it and walk away talking about it, but sink down in your soul and change your way of life. But I say to the rest of you who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden upon you. Nevertheless, what you have hold fast until I come. Hold the fort, says Jesus. I am coming. Hold the fort, for I am coming. And he who overcomes, the one who is willing to put it all on the altar for him, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Paul said, don't you know we will be judges over the world? And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, the shepherd who tends his flock with a staff that's tipped with iron. As the vessel of the potters are broken in pieces, so also I have received authority, great power, greater than this big juggernaut of Rome, authority from my Father. And then he gives the gracious promise, I will give him the morning star, the morning star. You'll read that word again in Revelation 22:16. Last week I went down to preach at the church at Presbyterian College at Clinton, Jack Oates Church. A friend of mine took me and we went in his car. His father was a physician in South Carolina and he always loves for me to tell this story and I want to close with it. Years and years ago, in fact, in just five more years, Haley's Comet is going to be coming back. Did you know that? Five more years. 
1986. It comes back. The last time Halley's Comet came was in 1910, in the spring of the year, in May. And when it came in 1910, my friend whose father was a doctor identified very quickly with this story. There was an old doctor in South Carolina who had been out making a call on that particular night on some woman who was giving birth to a little baby. And he had a coachman whose name was Uncle Mose, and the coachman had been asked to drive him out there, and the doctor had worked all night, was very tired, and he came out of the house after everything was looking okay. And he climbed up on the seat of his buggy, and his coachman, Uncle Mose, was greatly afraid because he had seen the tail of Halley's Comet and the stars were falling everywhere. And the doctor was so tired, he had worked all night, and he was about to fall asleep. And Uncle Mose spoke to the doctor and he said, Doctor, don't go to sleep. He said, the world's coming to an end. All the stars are falling. And the doctor, who was very gentle and sweet and understood that this man didn't know about Halley's Comet, he tenderly spoke to him and he said, Uncle Mose, do you see that big bright star up there? And he pointed to the North Star. And he said, yes, I see it. And he said, Uncle Mose, that's the North Star. And he said, every ship out at sea, all of the sailors, all of the soldiers who go across the desert, the people who are lost, look up at that star. And they get their directions from it. And it tells them where they are. And he said, now, Uncle Mose, I'm tired. And I want to go to sleep. But you watch that star. And when it falls, you wake me up. <laughs> I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, thy morn shall rise, and all thy day be bright. I looked to Jesus, and I found in him my star, my son. And in that light of life, I'll walk till traveling days are done. Let us bow in prayer. Oh God, our Father, the world outside is just dying to see someone who really loves Jesus. Loves him enough not only to die for him, but to live for him in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, amongst whom we are supposed to shine as lights. So we pray that you will cause us to recommit and rededicate our lives to seek after holiness and to know that in you and in you alone can we find the happiness which so many people chase after in evil things. Help us to know that Jesus is the source and the true meaning of all holiness and help us to stay close to him Deliver us from the scourge of the pornography and the evil that blights our land. Lead us close to our Savior. Make us faithful to him. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with you all, both now and forevermore.
be on the anointing in the house 